Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode where I get to speak to incredible people from around the world. Leaders who I believe are making a real difference, demonstrating what it truly means to be a human-centered leader. And today I've, uh, I've got a very special guest on who I only just found out about. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, browsing through LinkedIn, as you do, and I came across this one post from a friend of mine and he was celebrating an event that he'd witnessed or he'd been to and it was at a school, a school for teenagers in my own, my old city of Wolverhampton. This is where I was born and bred and I left there when I was 16 years old to join the police service. And uh, this school holds celebrations for the achievements of its young people. I don't know what happened, it's something deep down inside of me thought, I need to reach out. I need to find out more about this. So we've got the head teacher from the Morton School with us, Ben Domain. Ben, thank you so much. You jumped at the opportunity to be here. We've had a really incredible conversation just before we press record. Um, thank you so much for taking time out to be on the show today. Thank you. So Ben, we were having a chat and I had to stop you because I said, we need to repeat all of this <laughs> on the actual show. Just tell me a bit about Morton School and how you got to be involved in Morton School. Morton School is, I'm going to say, is the best school in Wolverhampton. Um, it has fabulous students, amazing staff, and we have a really, really supportive body of parents. Um, I was teaching, well, I was deputy head, head of school over the border in Wales, and I was looking for my first substantive headship. And I saw an advert written, um, so this was in October 2022, and there was something about the advert that drew me to Wolverhampton on a very rainy evening, 20 past four, because I got stuck on the N54. Yeah. Um, came into the school and it, it was like a veil lifting. You know, the dark clouds went and they were just smiley faced children. Incredible. 20 past four on a Friday evening. Bear in mind, school finished at 3.30. There were children in the food tech room, laughing, joking. They were doing, and remember they were doing pizzas. I just was in, into that absolutely straight away. There was staff just stood around talking at 20 past four Friday night. I'm used to staff revving to get out of the car park in previous schools. Um, <laughs> and everyone just seemed so happy. And and there was this feeling of warmth and this feeling of being together. And at that point then, I, I spent about an hour and a half with the CEO. It was pitch black outside. And I, I actually said to her at the time, I, I just got to let you know I've got to have this job. I've got to be part of this. Um, and then January 23 last year, we, we started the what, what I call my Morton, the, the Morton journey. Um, and it is the, the dream that this school is, you know, it, it encourages me in in the morning. It's very, very strange. I, 
I get up at ridiculous hours because I rush to get in. <laughs> I um, love that. I love and that. It, and it really is. It's, it, people think it's really cheesy, but it, it's the dream. I, I started teaching in 04 and I had to set a stupid target of, with my mentor at the time and, you know, head teacher by 40 or whatever. And, you know, realizing the dream here at 42, Morton is, it's incredible. Um, the children have this ability to make you feel proud. Yeah. Um, and it, it's unique. It's not any other school I've been to. And they, you know, they, they have some of the, the, the greatest challenges outside in the community of anywhere else in, in, in Wolverhampton. And, and it would challenge other parts of the UK. But they arrive every day in their uniform, ready. They, they're sponges ready to learn. It's wonderful. Well, let me just unpick some of the uniqueness. I mean, you shared with me quite a bit earlier on, and it does sound like to be a, a very unique environment, but it also has its challenges. So Morton School is part of a trust, which is a trust of five schools, I understand. Yes, it is. Yes. And it's in a socially deprived area. And, uh, and you said something which really struck with me, and you said, I'm trying to bring the school back into the community. Do you want to just explain that to me? Morton, before, I think before it joined the Amethyst Academies Trust, it was called Morton Community School. Um, and you see it on the DFE website, it's called Morton Community School stuff. Right. That's not anywhere on the school site. And, and when I got here, I started to think, well, what, what can we do? Because I feel a great social responsibility to the community. And I feel that now I've got this, and we were talking earlier about position of power, I feel like I need to use it not just to get the best education for the children, but what else can I do as a head teacher of a big 900 plus secondary school in a really deprived area where, you know, families families don't have the same support that in, in elsewhere. So, you know, over Christmas period, we did warm space events because I just felt, look, I'm heating this building. Why shouldn't we be benefiting from that? Why can't families come in and celebrate the children's successes with food, and, and laughter and music. So just describe this warm suit. I mean, this sounds really, really great. So we had, we did four of these over four evenings. We've got, a, we're really lucky. We've got a theater with a lovely projector and a screen. There's like 300 seats. So we had students artwork all over the walls. We had children in year nine and 10 singing live on stage. Right. We set up stalls of clothes. So if any families wanted any um, clothes items, extra items, we set up a food station, so we were giving soup, we were doing sandwiches, student serving, by the way, this is all student-led. The staff just kind of stood around as, as the spare parts, you know, <laughs> smiling in the right places. And it was just wonderful because it, it truly felt like we were part of something bigger than just being the school. You know, honestly, this, this sends shivers down my spine because it reminds me of a a very, very old uh, d definition I once heard of outstanding leadership. And, and, you know, leadership is my passion. It is it's an absolute passion, has been for 30 years uh, since I embarked on the journey. But I've always stuck with this definition that I heard back in 1990, and it's never left me. And it said something like, the mark of an outstanding leader is not about how good a leader you are, but how many leaders you create. Yes. And, you know, everything that you've just described there about the, ch the, the young people, the children leading this, this community sort of uh, uh, spirit and this community contribution while the teachers stood back uh, is just incredible. So you are creating leaders of the future, right? That is something, you know, I, I, I sent 
I sent something because I send a lot to my leadership team. So I, I've, I've been very lucky that I've had leaders above me who have inspired me and, and helped me in my leadership journey, which is even a head teacher, I'm still on, I'm still on a journey. And I, I sent them the mountain model where the example of managing, where you're directing somebody up the mountain or leading, where you're helping them get up the mountain. And my, my big thing with my team is leaders eat last, which is a very important quote for me. And it's literally on my wall in front of me because I believe that we are here to serve. And the best thing about leadership, like you said, is developing those people. Um, and they can be staff, they can be students. Here's the thing, Ben, um, uh, and I, I love what you're talking about. You know, leaders eat last, which is a Simon Sinek definition. And, uh, you know, it, it, there's a really powerful talk around this. Um, but also this whole concept of leadership is service. And, you know, it's it's one that I really talk about an awful lot. Uh, uh, it's all too well, isn't it? And I've seen it in the police service specifically uh, so many times but now i work with all sorts of organizations i see that it actually correlates across all sorts of organizations that many many leaders get to a position and the, their style of leadership or the accepted style of leadership in that organization is very much around command and control so it's much more around authority and we were talking earlier on just before i pressed record about the the whole sort of alpha male alpha female uh, scenario uh, and I actually believe that the new alpha males and the new alpha females are those who understand their values, understand that leadership is about service, as you've quite rightly described, and therefore uh, take on that courageous journey of forging their own path as leaders. That for me is is alpha male, alpha female, because it's about courage, right? Absolutely. And that's something that we've been doing so much work on with our, with our students, and particularly in 9 into 10, about empowerment and empowering our children to be that confident person that will stand up and go, this is what I believe in, this is how I'm going to act. And I talk with the leadership team about how difficult that actually is, because often you're the lone voice. You're that, you're that person who is standing on their own saying, no, we're, we're not, you're not going to do that. That is not on, that is not fair, that is not how we lead. Um, and leadership at any, whatever organisation you're in, is so tough because you're never going to please everyone. You're always going to upset someone. You're never going to be able to affect change to the degree that you want because we all want everyone to do so well. But it's about making the right efforts and empowering people to be leaders themselves. And we were talking about, um, you know, so we have the curriculum, the national curriculum that, you know, all schools have to follow. But there's nothing within that national curriculum that is really about the whole emotional intelligence uh, element of it all and I have a belief as important as IQ and technical skills and qualifications are they sort of just take you to the door to get through that door uh, and to the others and succeed on the other side of that door it's rarely about intelligence uh, like uh, intelligence quotient and technical skills and qualifications it's more about the person that you are uh, and it's more about your emotional intelligence so how do we overcome this gap uh, of uh, teaching people, teaching young people these life skills, these leadership skills, do you think? What, what could other schools be doing? I think it's making sure that you're not just teaching the core curriculums. So all of our mm. subject areas, you know, they have these, these wonderful documents with curriculum maps on talking about what they're going to do all of the time. And what they are clearly identifying is this is the core curriculum, but then this is what extra we deliver. And then it's also about having a really, really strong enrichment program. 
and that the enrichment program is, isn't just sports teams. It isn't just going on a you know a trip to to Dudley Castle like our Year Elevens will be going for their history coursework soon, or Carding Mill Valley for the geography coursework, or West Midland Safari Park for the biology students. You know, it's actually got it. I got in as many local destinations as I could fly in. Then to be fair, um, <laughs> but it, it's also about making sure that we're getting in inspirational speakers you know we had the talent foundry in today doing mock interviews and careers talks with our year 10 students exposing them to ideas they haven't thought about because in year 10 not many of our year 10s are thinking about post 16 they need to start because their journey has already begun and it's about making sure that we're opening them up to activities and experiences they don't have the opportunities to have so it's, and this this is a crazy one but year 10 are going to a waste management plant because they're charting the journey of waste as part of their triple science. They're looking at where it goes, what happens, and the students ha have no concept of that at all. So it's about opening their eyes to everything that's just above their learning and outside of their learning. And I, I feel that's our responsibility as teachers. You hear teachers saying, luckily not in my school, or, you know, we, we were just teaching towards the exams and we need, you know, but it's not about that. It's everything that we do. So we, we've been operating recently a habits curriculum, um, which is helping students with learning behaviours as well. So in Key Stage 3, we've been showing students, you know, this is how we have a group discussion. This is how we work together as a team. This is how you ask questions. This is skills that they're going to need in any walk of life that they go into, not just can they get this in GCSE English? Can they get this in GCSE Physics? I completely agree with you. It's really important. I find that fascinating. And I think that, uh, you know, my, my wife, who's also a GCSE English teacher, often talks about the, um, the young people that she works with who are also disadvantaged, have got behavioural issues. So she has kids coming to her who have... Uh, got predicted very very low grades um, perhaps other people may have given up on them uh, and she says you know they always have potential and sometimes to awaken that potential there has to be some element of inspirational leadership which is something I think that you're practicing very very hard at Morton School. We also see students the other side so we also see students who perhaps have quite low targets because perhaps They've had a disrupted educational journey in key stage one and two before they get to us through no fault of anyone's. And actually, we see that potential in them and they, they their targets might be quite low. And we work quite a lot on raising those aspirations. So, you know, that it's, it's a bit of a throwaway concept. But we straight away in year 10 talk to students about aiming for the moon and maybe hitting the stars. You know, so we're aiming as high as possible. So there's, there's something around inspiring and aspiring. So it's almost like teaching them to aspire way beyond and, and inspiring them to be able to do that. So, so you're, you're, you're really, you know, part of your strategy is, yes, of course, to get the core curriculum subjects, uh, you know, uh, have a, a level of success within that, because, of course, that's how a school is going to be measured. But within that, you understand that these are the future adults that, that are going to, you know, move into the world, which is one of the, the things that, you know, uh, really inspires me to create the leadership program that we're talking about for 16 to 18 year olds to particularly from 
these sort of environments, the socioeconomic environments, the under, underprivileged environments uh, that your children probably come from, to demonstrate that they have this incredible potential. Uh, and it may not be towards academia, but it may be towards something far more than that, where they could see some success in the outside world, whether it is in the university, apprenticeships or, or, or work. Um, what sort of success have you had? I know that you've only been there sort of a, a year, but have you seen anything that has come from this that, that sort of, that, that, that makes you feel that, yes, we're on the right path? When you talked about, you know, scores are measured on it, and, and I obviously, as head teacher, I am measured on the, on the attainment of students. But for me, the attainment only tells half the story. Because when I look at this, because I look at all the students' data all the time, you know, it's, luckily I like data, but, you know, it's, it's, you look at the students, you look at what they've achieved, and actually you feel it because you know that student is aiming for that five, that six, that eight, that nine, and then they miss it. And you look at what they've missed it by, and the good leaders feel that because you remember whatever you are, however however well you've done in all your exams in, in your life and all tests and whatever it is in any any occupation, you remember what it's like to not get what you want and to not achieve that. And that failure hurts us. And sometimes the children don't realise the feel that the adults around them have for those grades. Essentially what we're talking about here is empathy, isn't it? Massively. Massively. Um, and we try and share those experiences with them. You know, I, I, do, I do assemblies where I talk about things that have gone wrong in my educational journey. And I try and show them that just because I'm head teacher, it doesn't mean everything's gone perfectly well. You know, we all have things that we wish we'd done better. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that human element that I really, really try to tap onto. Um, in terms of how we, you know, what what are we seeing in school? Well, the school's going from, from strength to strength at Morton. And, it, and it's really because of this togetherness that we've tried to foster. So, you know, I'm I'm sitting very informally as a head teacher in a shirt and tie with a jacket on because this is our school jacket. All our staff wear these um, at all times for that sense of identity together. The students can see us from a distance. They call it the sea of blue. But even though the school's red and grey, they can see these blue jackets everywhere. And it makes them feel that we're always around and, and there for them. You know, the school is is um, oversubscribed. We've got waiting lists for the first time in the school's history. Um, we've exceeded our admission number in year seven. Um, but, you know, we're not sitting around. <laughs> it's, 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 as Simon Sinek says, this is about the infinite mind. You yeah. know, it's a constant growth journey, right? But it's focusing on, you know, it's focusing on that why. Mm. And that's something that I think I've only discovered this year is trying to talk to students and staff about all right, yes, because you want to get a good mark in your exam, but, but what is the why? What are we actually trying to achieve when you are learning about that in science? What are you trying to achieve when you're learning about that in art? You know, it's not just to get a grade nine, it's what is it? Um, and that really, if I'm honest, quite excites me. Hey, let, let me throw something at you then, Ben. Um, and we are talking about, you know, the why. Uh, but I think we're in a different era now. And I, I do love Simon Sinek's book on, you know, start with the why and the, 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 the TED talk that he does around that. And he talks about the what, the how and the why. But I actually think that we've moved into a different era now. And uh, I, 
bear bear with me on this, but I think you're you've you're already in that era. Maybe you you've not sort of defined it as such. Um, so we had the era of the what? What is it that we do? How is how do we do this? And you know, we saw in the mid nineties the rise of things like ISO nine thousand and nine thousand one, which was all all about best value. It was about process. It was about the, you know the way that we do things. Then of course Simon Sinek comes a, comes around and he talks about you know the why. You really need to know your passion, your drivers for doing what you do. And I think we're in a new era. I think what happened in twenty twenty reshaped us. In 2020, it was like a, a, it was a landmark event globally where we were taken away from work. And I know that schools had it really, really tough and you had to really become agile and uh, pivot and, and all of these fancy words that we very often use in management talk. But we had to do all of that. Um, but I think what happened during that process and all of us went into into this like insular introspective kind of frame where we we question ourselves what is what is really important to me as an individual you know and we started thinking about our values we started thinking about where we want to be and I think you know when you talked about the first time you came to Morton it really resonated with you I think it resonated with the values perspective um, so I think we're now in the era of the who who is it that we are doing this for who is, who are you doing this for? And I just want to pick up on a couple of things that you've said to me, some of the which we've covered, others that I think are just worth so powerfully mentioning. Not only are, are you trying to uh, better the, the qualifications, but the knowledge and the wisdom of, of the young people, but you're also impacting on your teachers, on, on your staff and creating better leaders. But it goes beyond that. It's, it's this recognition when you said, I want to put the community back into the school. You're actually doing an awful lot for the community, aren't you? you you're having soup kitchens, you're having food banks, uh, the warm spaces that you've described, um, clothes banks as well, I think you said. We started um, just before um, just before second week in January, a, a clothes drive. So we've got a very... We renovated reception to, to give the children a much nicer entry into the school because I'm all about, you know, if I've got money available in the budget to improve the environment for children when they come in, you know, so my basics are always the heating's always got to be on because some of our children don't have heat. You know, the building's got to always look as good as it can because I want the environment for them to be pleasing because their environment sometimes isn't. I want them, I want to give them what sometimes they don't have. So we've got a, a closed drive where we've got a wardrobe set up in a in a side off reception where parents can donate, but predominantly staff have donated into this. Um, and it came from our warm space events before Christmas. That's Some incredible. parents will browse in reception as if it's a shop, which is lovely. Some parents we will contact and say, look, we've got X, Y, and Z income in. And we've now just, um, as of Monday, started our own mini Morton food bank um, where we've had donations from staff and I showed you earlier, Cole, on, on my office floor that there are crates of, uh, of food all stacked up, ready to go into reception. What What's even nicer, which I, I feel is lovely, is the wardrobe and the storage unit we've got in reception. We bought off um, a famous social media marketplace. So we haven't bought brand new. So we've helped somebody else by buying. We've recycled it, which... I think it's really important. So those of you who are only listening to this on audio uh, and you haven't got onto YouTube, 
Um, we've just seen like crates of food in your office that's waiting to go yeah. into the food bank. Yes. Wait, the storage cube isn't big enough. I need another one. Um, and we and we then, you know, we we prepare food parcels um, for families that we know need, and we also invite families in. Um, we also do a um, a free breakfast every day, and we feed around four hundred students every day. Um, there's nine hundred and sixty-two students at Morton currently. So 400 of those get a free breakfast every day. Now, I would feed them all, um, but only 400 arrive for that. And, and at that point, you know, we have music in the in the diner and our well-being team are there doing kind of informal check-ins. But it, it's just part of Morton life. Um, and it's, it's that seven-year journey for students from year seven up to year 13 that, you know, I want them to expect they can have toasted bagels, toast cereal, because... Why shouldn't they? I was lucky enough to have that at home. I want them to have it here. And and, and the, the breakfast that you're talking about then, Ben, is that an everyday occurrence? Every day of the week they have that, yes. I mean, that must cost a, a significant amount. It how, does. How, yeah. how do you do that? Well, we were really lucky that, that we, we were able to fund it anyway. But I also managed to um, get support from the National Breakfast Fund. So we're a national breakfast school. Um, so they pay a proportion of our breakfast as well, but that only goes for a year. So that will end in August. But but I commit from the school budget because I feel having a warm breakfast, be it basic, but a warm breakfast is vital for them. One, to sustain them, but two, for their learning, um, because our children have that breakfast and they go straight into their first lesson. And, you know, I, I hate, hate anyone feeling hungry, but it hurts to think of a child being hungry. Um, I've, I've got a daughter myself, she's 11 and I don't like, I don't like it. It's just, it's not on. So if I can do that, we will, um, we buy clothes for children. We, we provide uniform, you know, the children, they, they have blazers and shirts, which are lovely. And then children comes in, you know, I'm really cold. We order them a jumper. There's no question. We pay for the jumper, 26 pounds straight, you know, we'll find the money. Um, we're not, we're not made of money. Morton is not, um, but, you know, I think we use our money for the right things. A lot of what you do is, is, is just very, very clever money management or reliant upon contributions. But in order for you to get contributions, you have to build this this sort of what I call the bridge of trust between you and the community and, you know, the people who are donating. It just sounds to me, Ben, that um, everything that you, you, you are doing is based upon some really strong values that you hold. So... Just, just share with us. What are your values? I, I talked to you before we before we press record that I, I kind of after a year of putting it off, wrote my vision, right? <laughs> um, which is, I, I find embarrassing talking about my vision because I feel that I, I'm not I'm not a wise enough person to have a vision. But for me, it's it's around. I see it as a mission. I see it as something that I have to do to provide the best experience for the children. Now mm-hmm. that's educational experience that's experience of care that's preparing them for life after Morton that's giving them the skills that they need but then with that it's setting them really high standards and expectations so it's making sure that when they leave us hopefully after sixth form as well so at the age of 18 that actually they, they go into their university or they go into a career knowing what employers what universities will actually expect of them um, but I want them to feel safe. I do a lot around making people feel safe so that then they can thrive. 
because I know in certain environments where as adults we don't feel safe, anxiety and other things can then prevent us from flourishing. So we do a lot, you know, our staff stand on the doors and, and greet our students as they come in and I talk to them about using your knowledge of them. So a lot of them, because Wolverhampton, I don't want to put a plug out for Wolves, but I feel like I have to, you know, they'll tap into the football, you know, saw you at the game on the weekend, heard this, or they'll have a Wolves coat on, so they'll talk about it. And they'll try and bring in those natural human interactions to make the children feel comfortable and safe. But then when we're in the lesson, we are, we're focused on that learning. Um, so I haven't articulated that very well. But about everything. I think that's wonderful. And, I, you know, I'm a big believer in, in, in understanding values. And oftentimes what you find in all, many organizations that I've worked with is you'll have shiny values stuck up on a wall or maybe on mouse mats and things like that. Uh, but when you ask the leaders of that organization to tell me what their, their values are, they often struggle uh, and they'll point at the values of the organization. But I, th I think value-driven leadership is a very powerful style of leadership, and it's very, very clear to me that you are you your your style of leadership comes from a very core element of you, which is all around your values. Uh, so, for me, where did they come from? Where did your values come from? Why is it that you you are the the leader that you are right now? I didn't grow up with any element of of wealth or advantage. I, I grew up in a similar area to the area around the school, but but in South Wales. Um, and like our children, I, I had to work really, really hard for, for for where I am. So I think that my, my journey through education, because children laugh at this, I've never left school. You know, I went to school, I went to sixth form, went to university, and I got my first job in a school. Um, and they think, oh, sir, you're really sad. Um, but, you know, <laughs> could be right, but I love it. Um, so I think that I think I've also had really, really influential people and leaders now peers. So a lot of influence from peers at the same kind of role as me and, and, and other roles, but also leaders around me. And something that I talk to my leadership team about is although hierarchies within leadership are really, really important, you need to get to know everyone and you need to have those relationships with all staff because you get so much from it. Yeah. So I, I spend so much time with, with our site team. One, because they they work so hard, just like everyone, but they work so hard. But also, you get a different perspective on what you're doing. Um, and I think that's influenced me a lot. And, you know, the, the, the site worker at my last school, um, I, won't, I won't mention his name, but he impacted me a lot because of the way he used to talk about the students' lessons. He he could see because while he was doing his work, he would hear the teaching going on. He would hear the students talking about it. So I've been impacted by everyone within those organisations, not just the people who've been above me. And I think that's been a big learning curve for me probably over the last 10 years. I learned a lot from the cleaners, believe it or not. You know, the, the wisdom that comes out from the people who, who look after our offices and have been there maybe 20, 30 years and have seen plenty of leaders come in and go in. Uh, there was so much wisdom that came out of those conversations. I used to, but it's spending the time to get to know. Hundred percent. I, I I used to come in early just to have a cup of tea with them. My cleaner's called Lynette. She comes in every morning, and I'm I'm singing to YouTube normally <laughs> at that time of the morning because there's no one in school. She comes in. She starts talking about Barry Manilow. We, we laugh, 
and you know, and, and then you know, our in-day cleaner. I, and I, I was speaking to her and I called her by, by first name, Jenny. And one of the staff said, oh, you know Jenny's name? I went, well, well, yeah. I speak to her every time I see her in the corridor. How are you, miss? How are you, Jenny? Thank you for doing that. Because it's important. Because yeah, I agree with you. I expect staff to do that for students. I expect staff to have those positive encounters and how are you, please? And it's normally, take your shirt in, please, by the way. And, uh, you know, don't run. Um, but it's also about those making people feel like they're wanted and making people feel valued. And the best way is to thank people and to acknowledge them. I once saw a quote, and I can't remember who it was from, but it said something like, people will remember you for how you made them feel, paraphrasing yeah. it. And I think it feeds into what you're talking about. Ben, you're doing some great work at Morton School. You know, I, I, When I visit my home city of Wolverhampton, I want to come and visit Morton School. And if ever you need someone to come and speak there, I am I am most definitely your man on that. Yes, uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure uh, listening to you. Your passion knows no bounds. You know you're full of energy, and it is really focused on other people. And uh, I wish you very, 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 very well in your second year at Morton School. And let's see you go from strength to strength. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very, very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.